You're listening to the Christ Church Toronto podcast, a recording of the Sunday sermons from Christ Church Toronto. Christ Church Toronto is a new church in Toronto's East End that seeks to practice the ancient Christian faith today. We would love for you to join us in the future, but until then, please turn your attention to the scripture reading. This morning's reading is from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 15, verses 1 through 20. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrine the commandments of men and he called the people to him and said to them hear and understand it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person but what comes out of the mouth this defiles a person then does the then the disciples came to him and said do you know that the pharisees were offended when they heard the saying and he answered Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if blind lead the blind, they will fall into the pit. But Peter said to him, Explain the parable to us. And he said, Are you still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. This is the word of the Lord for our church, and is given for our good. Thanks, James. Let's pray and spend some time reflecting on this very important passage. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Our Lord, we, your church, now come before you to this time where we want to sit under your teaching and be shaped and molded by it. And we know, even as we read in this passage, that it is quite easy for the traditions and customs and general busyness of our lives to overshadow that which is important. And so protect us from misunderstanding your word, and by your spirit guide us that your word may transform us. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Um, A few years ago, right down the street, Professor Chenbo Zong, a behavioral scientist at the Rotman School of Business uh, over at U of T, uh, put out flyers all over the city uh, around the campus and offered $5 for students to come and participate in a study, a research project he was working on. The participants eventually were uh, to come into a spotless lab as a large group 
and they were given instructions about the nature of the experiment that they were going to go under, but they had very little understanding of what was going to happen. And Professor Zong divided the, the group into two, uh, two, two sort of sections. One section, he actually gave them antiseptic wipes when they walked in so they could wash their hands. And as they sat on the, in this spotless lab, uh, they were able to wash their hands and feel clean. The other half were not able to wash their hands, and they had no access to anything uh, with which to make their hands feel clean. And the way the experiment went is they were given six social ills, things like smoking and illegal drug usage, um, adultery, uh, pornography, there's a couple other things. And they were asked on a scale of, of one to ten, two or eight, uh, the, the sort of, um, the ways in which uh, the, they perceived these moral ills. They were either to be sort of very moral or very immoral on the scale of one to ten. And what was surprising is the study found, sort of beyond a shadow of a doubt, that those who washed their hands and felt clean consistently rendered a harsher judgment as related to the immorality of these social interactions. Professor Zong writes in the paper that concluded this report, participants who cleanse their hands before rating the social issues judge these issues to be more morally wrong compared to those who did not cleanse their hands. Accompanying this research project, he did two other studies that used similar methods to explore the same question and he came back with identical results. Dr. Zong concluded, beyond sort of a shadow of a doubt, using empirical research that there is some connection albeit subconsciously, some connection between being physically and morally pure. And I wonder what you think about that. I don't think it should surprise us if we think about it that there's this connection between feeling clean and rendering harsher moral judgments. And if we think about it, it sort of filters into our language, does it not? Uh, we talk about having a cleansed or a pure conscience versus a dirty conscience. What type of jokes do we hear? We hear clean jokes or, you know, dirty jokes. There's pure movies, there's filthy movies. What do you call money that's made uh, through ill-got Ill means? We would call that dirty money. It sort of worked its way, at least into the English language, this feeling of, of purity and cleanliness tied together. But it's also worked itself into virtually every religion that the world has ever experienced. Obviously, in Christianity, we have this induction ceremony into the visible church, baptism, which is a type of washing. Christianity is far from the only religion that has various washings, bathing in the Ganges, ritual washings and prayers accompany many religious experiments, experiences. These washing ceremonies are found uh, virtually anywhere you go in the world. And what I want to argue this morning, or what I want to wrestle with and think hard with you about, is that the reason why moral purity and physical purity seem to be woven together in our hearts and minds and the reason why so many of the world's religions have some kind of ceremony involving cleanliness, at least physical cleanliness, is because somewhere deep down inside of us, you know, deeper than just dirty hands, there's something inside of us in our psyche, in our core, in which we feel dirty. We feel impure. We're haunted in our sense of self by some filth. And it comes out subconsciously, and one of the ways we know it is as Professor Zong demonstrated, we associate physical cleanliness with moral cleanliness, whether we like it or not. So this morning, here's what I want to look at at this passage. Jesus is having an interaction, and it's about moral filth, about uncleanliness. And I want to look at our, our failures, at our attempts to find true cleansing, and the way in which Jesus offers cleansing from our failures. So maybe our failed cleansings and cleansings from our failures. Okay, these are the two points I want to look at this morning. So this first passage, uh, first, this passage is, is highlighting our, our failed attempts at cleansing, 
I mean, it's highlighting a particular group of people's failed attempts at cleansing, but I think it's exposing something deeper inside of us. There's three scenes in this passage. You can mark it up in your bulletins if you, you can kind of see them playing out. And they all revolve around this topic of defilement and impurity. First, there's a, delegate, a delegation of Pharisees and scribes who come from headquarters, come from Jerusalem. Clearly, they're very serious, and they want to talk to Jesus. And what are they upset about? They're upset that Jesus and his disciples do not follow the traditional ceremony associated with washing hands, the ceremony of the elders. Now, you have to understand a handful of things that are going on in this passage to understand why this was so serious to them. It might seem like these people are a little bit uh, OCD maybe or a little bit uh, you know, uptight about cleanliness. But what you have to understand is they are debating around hand washing, but they're, they're debating around a bigger question that is at the bottom of this, and that is that God had given various instructions to his people about how they could come near into his presence. I don't know about you, but we're coming to that season where we pull out that tray where your snow boots have to go when you come in our house. And there's nothing worse than when you've mopped the floor and you've cleaned the floor and the house feels clean and the kids run in the house. What do parents yell almost instinctually? The kids could be bending down, taking off their boots, but what am I still going to yell? Take your boots off, you know? I don't want that uncleanliness coming through the house. I don't want salt tracked all over the floor. Now, in a similar way, but in a much more serious way, God had made clear to his people that he didn't want filth coming into his presence either. He didn't want impurity sort of coming and invading his space, and he gave a series of laws. And these laws, as you're reading the Old Testament, especially if you get into sort of later into Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, so there's times when they feel strange. Why is God so uptight about these things? But what God is, is saying is that he doesn't want death, and he doesn't want disease. He doesn't want filth. He doesn't want dirt coming into his presence. He does not want th things like this sort of invading his space. His home is clean. That which is around him is clean. It's pure. He doesn't want the filth coming into to the world in which he inhabits where he sits. Now, the Old Testament series of laws, if you came in contact with someone who's dying, it was a week that, that you were not permitted to go to the temple. There was also laws related to mildew and various diseases, probably to prevent the spread of diseases. But they also had impacts on one's relationship of going into God's very presence. Now, these laws were to teach us something very important. They were to teach us that what death and disease and dirt do to the physical body, sin does to our souls, our inner beings, deep down in us. And they were to develop an instinct within God's people that God himself was holy. And the only way to come into his presence, he is clean, he is pure, and you cannot come into his presence unless you too are pure and clean. Now, this is the background of these laws going on in the Old Testament. Let's go to the case study that comes up. The, the Pharisees and the scribes are upset that God's people are not washing their hands. If you search the Old Testament, there's really only one ceremony in which lay people are uh, given instructions related to washing. It's related to discharges of the body in Leviticus 15. However, the Old Testament included a series of washings related to the priest class. Those who actually worked and ministered in the temple, there was a series of washings they had to go to to show forth their cleanliness to go into God's presence. And what you're seeing is that the Pharisees and the scribes were something of a holiness movement. They believed and were absolutely convinced that if, if God was going to come back and liberate his people from the Roman occupation they were under, if they were going to be set free and experience the blessing of living as God's people under his law, under his rule, 
that the society itself needed to be pure and clean. And so if these standards were the standards that priests were to take, well, in this age of sin, in this time in which God is clearly giving some measure of judgment to his people, everyone ought to live under the priestly style laws. And not only that, for fear that someone might accidentally bring impurity into God's people, into the land of God's people, into the presence of God, all kinds of ceremonies were concocted. And you can still see some of the remnants of these ceremonies playing out if you go through various hand-washing ceremonies, if you watch, say, a Jewish uh, Passover Seder. You know, all kinds of ceremonies were put in place that people would feel pure. Now, my guess is this case study feels somewhat foreign to your experience of life with God. That would be my hunch. Although Professor Zong's research tells me that subconsciously there's still something in us, buried deep inside of us, that works itself out where we feel the need to clean ourselves up, and there's a tie between that physical cleanliness and our moral purity. Maybe I could say it this way. There is an impulse inside of us that somewhere deep down we know we are impure. There's something that happens inside of us, the thoughts that sort of cycle through our heads, the urges and feelings that we feel that tell us that we're impure. Now, we understand that God has made himself known. If you're a believer, you would say God has made himself known in the Bible, and he's given to us instructions on how to be his people. But if we're honest with ourselves, those instructions are complicated. And there's an impulse inside of us that's the exact same impulse inside the Pharisees and the scribes in this chapter, and that is this. We want to gamify God's law. We want a scoreboard, right? We want, to know the, we want to know the count. We want to know the balls and strikes. We want to know who's winning, who's losing. And what frustrates us and makes us uncomfortable about God's law is the stakes are so high, and it's hard for us to know whether we're in the negatives or the positives, okay? We look at God's law, and we think of this world, and it's so incredibly complicated, and God expects us to walk with wisdom, and we want to reduce God's law into terms that we understand, into rules in which we can play the game and we can find ourselves winning. This is an impulse inside of us to look for this scoreboard. But what ends up happening as we try to set up a scoreboard where we know we're doing better with God or worse with God, we also incorporate into the rules of the game our blind spots. Now, I, I hope I don't have to make this case to you, but some people are utterly repulsed by certain moral things and find other moral things to be no big deal. This is a truism. No matter what society you're in, this is the case. There's certain people that cannot believe people would commit sin X, but they don't find sin Y that big of a deal. Our culture has its own expressions of these things. And what happens when we begin to gamify life with God, when we try to seek a scoreboard, is that we create rules which protect the things that we despise, and the things it protects the things we're somewhat good at. And it makes it hard and, and creates negative scores for the things that we're opposed to. And this is what the Pharisees are doing. Washing hands, that's something I can know if I'm plus or minus, you know? Got to wash hands before you eat? I can easily score points and make sure I get on the scoreboard daily for my three meals a day by doing proper hand washing, okay? We can understand their impulse. However, what Jesus is going after them and saying is that in doing this, by doing this, they're actually negating the very law of God. But by setting up a scoreboard system where they can figure out whether they're in the plus or in the minus of their life with God, they end up bringing damage to the very laws of God. They interpret the laws the way they want to interpret them, and though their diligence and their persistence around, say, washing laws look like they are very pious, they look like they are living sacrificial, you know, religiously devout lives, there's only a thin veneer of surrender there. 
because they've reduced God's law to what is easy for them, what fits their agenda, what fits their impulses, and they've turned a blind eye to the things that don't work. And Jesus is saying that this is a problem we all have, and it's a heinous problem. It's not a small issue. It is a heinous issue that when God gives us instructions, the way that our minds work, the way we work as people, is we take those instructions and we interpret them in a way in which we can win and we can look down on others and say we're, well, we're a much better society than those people. And we can set up a scoreboard where we find ourselves, the rules of the game set up so that we win, rigged so that we win. We interpret the rules in such a way. And then when we think we're winning at our game, I hope you're following me. I realize I'm mixing some metaphors here. But when we feel we're on the scoreboard, we then think that we can hold God hostage. Well, certainly, you must answer my prayers. I'm up 7-0. <laughs> you know, I've washed before every meal this week. My goodness, I am so pure. You're, you, in fact, Lord, you're almost privileged to have such a winner on your team. And you must hear my prayers, and you must bless me, and you must continue to protect my agenda around how you fit into my world. What Jesus is calling out is this impulse of the Pharisees, and I'm trying to make the case that though it comes out in different forms in our lives, it's not much different to us. And we set up cleansing ceremonies. We, we do it here. We do it here, whether it's your first day in church or you've been in church your whole life. We set up these ceremonies so that we can feel clean. So that haunting dirtiness that, that resides deep down in us. We set these things up, and Jesus is saying we're getting it all wrong. We're like the child who's instructed to go clean the room. And they realize after a while there's two ways to clean your room. One is to actually do the hard work of putting everything away and cleaning things up properly. The other thing to do is to shove everything under your bed and into your closet and close the door. And mom and dad, when they come by, they look in and they say, I can see the floor for the first time this week. It's pretty clean. Good work. But if you shove stuff under the bed long enough, what happens? You know, eventually rodents start coming in under there. You know, things start smelling. Jesus is saying this. You might be able to trick your parents and to shoving stuff under the bed and giving the perception of cleanliness. You might, even, you might even be able to trick yourself, and that's what's so deadly about this. You might be able to convince yourself you're on the right path and that you're clean. But Jesus is saying, you can't trick me. And if you continue down this path, you will make void the very words of God. He pulls out another case study after he, goes, after he begins arguing with the disciples. It it's also sounds foreign to us. It related to money donations. So it, at the particular time that Jesus is debating, the scribes and the Pharisees have a law which says, though God's law said everyone was to take care of their parents, a thriving and healthy society under God's reign would say that part of your income needs to go to taking care of those who brought you into this world, who took care of you. You have to use your income to take care of your aging family members. However, the Pharisees and the scribes, maybe with good intentions, had created a law which said, you have to take care of your family members. However, when money is donated to the temple, that money belongs to God, and in some senses, that's of higher order than taking care of your family members. And then, the way the loophole worked, is that people can say, I intend to donate all of my wealth at the end of my life, thank you very much, to the Lord's causes. And because they intend to do that, they are under no longer any obligation to take care of their, their parents, to feed their parents. They let their siblings take care of the parents and they let the general society take care of the parents. What I'm trying to say is this. A, a tax loophole was created. And Jesus brings up this case study. He says, you have denigrated the very law of God. You have rendered it void of its power by these strange interpretations and, and, and rules. The way you have sought to be clean with your money, 
when you honestly just want to use it for yourself by saying it's all eventually going to be dedicated to the temple. In the, in the name of being clean, you've been shoving stuff under the bed, and I'm telling you right now, I can smell it when I walk in your room, there is rot growing. You have, you have made void the world, word of God. These are the failures of your cleaning. Now, this impulse is in all of us. I don't know how much you read this week about Sam Bankman-Fried, you know, one of the biggest uh, you know, financial frauds in the history of the world going to jail. And it's also interesting that if you read about Sam Bankman-Fried, what's, what's incredible is not just his mind and his ability to pull off this, this horrible financial crime. What's incredible is he's also one of the largest donors in the history of our world to charitable causes. I mean, it's incredible. A guy knows, it seems, that he was committing some financial fraud, and yet he thinks, here's how I'm going to cleanse myself. Something's dirty about what I'm doing, but boy, I feel clean when, when, I, when I give away my money. And he's known for a philosophy known as effective altruism, just making as much money as you can so you can give as much away. Cleansing. <laughs> These are the failure of our cleansing. We're shoving things under the bed. Now listen, I've tried to, I've tried to make my point. This is something that exists in the hearts of the Pharisees. It exists in us. This is why you're so driven for success, because you feel dirty like a failure, <laughs> and you make cleansing ceremonies with which, uh, as you succeed, as things go well, it sort of cleanses over you any, any of these feelings of failure that, that exist to you. You know, this is why these cleansing ceremonies are why you have to continue to nurse bitterness with people in your life, you nurse it over and over again because you don't want to take ownership of your own problems. You don't want to say that I'm unclean because of something I did. You want it to be someone out there who made me unclean. And so the way in which you use these ceremonies is you nurse grievances of bitterness so that you don't have to deal with what's going on. Jesus is saying these cleansing ceremonies are leaving us bankrupt. And Christian, don't think you're off the hook just because you say you follow, trust and follow Jesus Christ. How many of us here know the feeling of missing your morning Bible reading and prayer? and feeling like a day of bad luck is ahead. Something's going to go wrong. God's going to get you. As though all of all your relationship with God can be reduced to the scoreboard of pluses and minuses of Bible reading and prayer. Absurd. And yet, is that not what we do? Or the father who treats his family and his, his spouse so unloving and is so nasty, and yet then goes and leads the Bible study and feels absolutely clean and pure. A person of prominence leading the Bible study in the church. What Jesus is saying is there's a failure in our attempts at cleaning. I hope I've made the point. It's something that exists in the heart of the Pharisees, but it exists in our heart as well. You're doing it right now about so many things in life. You're trying to create a scoreboard that's more manageable, that you know you can win in, and then you're trying to take time to look at that scoreboard so you can inflate your sense of clean, uh, cleanliness of yourself, and I'm telling you, it will fail. You will come up bankrupt and you'll make void the very means by which you're meant to be clean. This is the failure of our cleansing. But now let's talk about how we can find cleansing from our failure. And Jesus says, if we're going to do this, we have to begin at the source. Look what he says in verse 11. He says almost the exact same thing in verse 17. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but it's what comes out of the mouth that shows defilement. This is exactly what he says in, in verse 17. Things go into the mouth... Things from outside of you come into you, and you would think that these things are what defiles you, but actually your body has the ability to process them and expel them. But what your body can't do and can't figure out is the things that are inside of you deep down, that unclean feelings that you feel, that result in you erupting and bringing up things like evil thoughts, murders, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false bearing false witnessing, slander. Jesus is saying, do you want to know why you feel unclean? And do you want to know why the scoreboard approach hasn't been working? It's because the, your real problem is so much deeper than you want to admit. 
It goes down very, very, very deep into you. Let me illustrate it this way. Let's suppose that you have, um, you're, you're a regular smoker. You just, love, you just love smoking, and you can't stop smoking, and you smoked for a long time. And, and over and over again, the doctor said, this is going to result in health consequences. You're going to get lung cancer at this rate. You must stop smoking. And you said, yeah, 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 I completely understand. But you smoke, you smoke, you smoke. Then one day you go to the doctor, you've been having some pain, and sure enough, the doctor says, yeah, it's cancer. It's all over your lungs. It's all over your lungs. And you say, oh, my goodness, I will never smoke again. Doctor, hear me out. <clears throat> it's over. I, I won't even look at a cigarette. I won't touch it. In fact, I won't be around secondhand smoke. I'm not, I'm not going to have any cigarettes ever in my possession. Doctor, it's done. You don't, I realize I have it, but it's done. I'm, I'm done smoking. And the doctor would look at you, and what would the doctor say? Well, that's good. You probably should stop smoking. But at this point, stopping smoking is only superficially going to deal with the problem that's laden deep inside of you. The cancer has taken on a life of its own, and it's coming inside of you. It's not the carcinogens coming from the outside inside of you anymore. The problem is now inside of you, something is alive and growing and working towards your destruction and your death. It is making you unclean internally. And all you want, you can say that you won't touch a cigarette, but now it is too late. And this is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is going to the scribes, and he's going to the Pharisees, and he's saying, listen, your washing ceremonies, they have some measure of merit to them. But you guys are a bit foolish. You're, you're teaching people how to stop smoking when the cancer's already growing in their lungs. You're setting up seminars to make sure they never come in contact with secondhand smoke. It seems good on the surface, but you don't understand the nature of the problem. It's so much deeper. And this is exactly what has been the problem of God's people from times of old. This is why he cites the great prophet Isaiah. They honor me with their lips, but their, their hearts are far from me. They claim they're not smoking, but the cancer is just raging inside of them, and they're nursing, they're allowing the cancer to continue to spread. At their core, at their gut, they have a problem, and this is what makes them unclean, unfit to be in my presence. And all the law obedience in the world, the gritting of your teeth, the pushing hard to wash your hands and make sure you do everything right will not rid of the core problem. Something urgent has to happen. We are unclean deep down in the heart. So what does Jesus expect them to do? Well, we find ourselves in a deep predicament. If cancer's growing inside of us, and there's little left in our agency to do, what, what do we have to do? We have to look outside of us. Something, someone else has to come and, and fix and do something that we can't do for ourselves. Now, the, fair, the disciples come to Jesus, down in verses 12 through 14, and there's a kind of a cryptic parable in the midst of this, which makes some sense of what's going on, and they say, hey, Jesus, you do understand that you really offended those Pharisees. And what does Jesus say in verse 13? He says, every, every plant that my father hasn't planted, it's going to get plucked up one day, and it'll, it'll get uprooted. And then he says in verse 14, they're nothing more than just blind people leading the blind. Now, why does Jesus include this here as he's talking about this issue of what is really defiling you being something deep down inside of you? He's telling us that the way out of this mess is going to have to be something from outside of you, planting a seed, putting medicine deep inside of you, deep inside of you, so that you're changed from the inside out. And it's going to feel like a new seed or a new, new, new life birthed out inside of you. It's going to feel like you once were blind, but all of a sudden sight, you know, light rushes into your pupils. This is what it's going to feel like. The disciples are, are acknowledging that the Pharisees are offended 
But Jesus is saying, to the one who has eyes to see, they will be humbled. Listen, Jesus isn't saying, clean yourself up. You'll be good enough to be part of my people. That's not at all what he's doing. And no matter how many times I preach this to you, you are going to leave here and instinctively you have one addictive sin on your mind, you have one sort of spiritual habit that you would like to grow in and you failed at and you're going to think my life with God is dependent on my scoreboard on that problem. I'm telling you, Jesus is saying something much different. Much different. He's saying that might make you feel clean, but it's not going to make you truly clean. You will be throwing items under the bed and telling yourself the room's clean. You'll be stopping smoking and trying to convince yourself that you no longer have a problem with cancer. Listen, Jesus isn't coming to bring some sort of ethical reformation into the world. He's coming to bring new life, deep life. He's coming to bring a cleansing deep inside of you, an agent that will come and clean up, a medicine that will come and, and, and from the inside birth out and spring out new life. It's going to feel something like a heart transplant, something foreign to you inside of you will begin to take place. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying that he has come to be the means by which the Father plants and the right fruit grows. He has come to be the means by which the blind eyes are open and they can see clearly and walk maybe for the first time. You may remember last week, Daniel preached on the passage immediately before this. And Jesus' healing ministry reaches something of a climax because all word is spreading around him. And what are people trying to do in the previous passage? You may remember in chapter 14, verse 36, if you have your Bible. The sick are just hoping they can touch the very fringes of his garment. And when they touch the fringes of his garment, we find out, just, just as they reach out and touch his clothes, just the, the tail of his jacket, they reach out, and as they touch it, they are immediately made clean. What are we learning? Listen, Jesus would have been ceremonially defiled for all the sick to come and touch him. Think of, think of mass COVID exposure, you know, on steroids. You know, all the sick and defiled people touching him would make him sick and undefiled and unworthy to be in God's presence. And yet, as they touch him, they're healed and they're made well. He absorbs their sickness inside of him and does something with it that they might be sent out well. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say this. Jesus took on all this defilement, this uncleanliness. All these healings are showing us just little pictures. He took on that deep uncleanliness upon himself. And the one who has every right to be in God's presence, the one who lived a perfect and pure life, unstained by sin, unpolluted, the one who should be welcomed right into God's presence, not only is he not in God's presence, but outside of the city, outside of the presence of God, he takes that defilement and on the cross he is crucified. And he kills this uncleanliness once and for all so that the disease can't keep spreading. He wipes it out, absorbs its power to himself, and in the cross finds a cure that that deep filth that you feel can be done away with. And then in God's mysterious plan, he dies, and he's resurrected, and he's invited into the very presence as one who is clean. He's taken care of the uncleanliness, and he is marked as clean and invited into God's presence, and he says to you who believe, to you who have faith, to you who trust, to you who said what he did on the cross was for me. He, he says, I took care of your uncleanliness. Now you're clean. Now you're invited into God's presence. And what does this do for us? It kills the desire to keep a scoreboard. In fact, if anything, we want to see how poorly we're doing at God's law because we have such great delight in knowing we're clean despite that. And now we can live out of true obedience, purified hearts, Obedience the way it was always meant to be, not begrudgingly, but from a heart of gratitude, motivated by God's deep love for us. 
And this kills the need for a scoreboard, and it kills the need for us to say, well, Lord, you probably should answer my prayer, because I know I'm not perfect, but you should see some of the other people that have been praying to you today. I was in a small group with a couple of them. They share their sins, and then they ask you to help them. I'm just saying, Lord, if you look at my moral record, you probably should give me ear to hear. No way! We find out all of us are unclean and all of us find our cleanliness in Jesus Christ. And when we feel deeply unclean, we go right back to the cross and say, this has been taken care of. And we don't seek to make the law more manageable so that we can run up our score. But we seek the law out of a deep gratitude and love so that we can reflect God's image to others. So that we can say, though I am a man of unclean lips, though I am impure in what I do, I have been, my, my impurity has been dealt with in a real and objective way at the cross. And now I'm invited and welcomed into God's presence. And I can not be scared to be defiled by others. I don't have to abstain from the dark parts of the city. I don't have to abstain from the people who are caught up in, 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 in nasty sins. I've got to be careful out of wisdom. But I'm not going to be defiled. It's, it's just not how it works. The, the, the reason I'm defiled has been done away with. It's, the, the punishment of that defilement has been taken care of. Now I'm invited as one clean into God's presence. This is what is offered in the gospel friends. A deep and true cleansing, one that you won't fully experience until the new heavens and the new earth, but one that you receive now by faith. And when you know this deep cleansing, you can quit these games of hiding. You can quit throwing stuff under the bed. You can quit telling yourself that if you stay away from secondhand smoke, maybe the cancer will disappear. You can acknowledge the reality of the problem. You can acknowledge that it's been taken care of in Christ, and in Christ you are received as one who's clean because of what Christ has done for you. This is the hope of our gospel. If we get this, if we would understand this, we just understand this for a week. This would transform how we think of others. It would transform how we interact in the city. Transform in the way in which we deal with, with one another in the midst of dark problems. It would totally upend all things. We find ourselves clean in Christ, knowing we've done nothing to deserve it, and yet the full benefit of it is ours. This is our hope. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that in Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ, Though right now it has to be received by faith, we have been made clean. We thank you that though there's hundreds of ceremonies we go through all day long to tell ourselves that we're clean, to convince ourselves that we're okay, that we're right, that in Jesus Christ, by simple faith, we can trust that despite what we've done, we are, we are welcomed into your presence because of his work. Grow and deepen our faith in Christ this morning and help us to taste and experience something of this cleanliness, not that we become sort of holier-than-thou hypocrites, but that we become incredibly humbled by how serious the problem is, but how real and pressing and tangible and available the cleanliness is because of the work of Christ. We thank you for Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Christ Church Toronto podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at christchurchtoronto.ca or email us at info at christchurchtoronto.ca.